following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Glad you came out on this hot and sweaty day. Um, I just feel like I need to clear the air up a little bit because uh, I've been in the process of building a shed at my house, and I don't build sheds every day of my life, so I've made a few mistakes. And uh, I have to confess that this morning when I walked out and I was just reviewing my work, as I do, uh, I saw a mistake. And it kind of is making me shake a little bit because I need to get home and fix it. I need to fix it before someone sees it, you know, that's how it goes. And then when I walked in here this morning, I realized the stage is off center. And I know for some of you, it kind of makes you shake a little bit, like me. I didn't know I was quite so OCD, but uh, um, yeah, so a mistake was made and it was already set up and the cables were out, so it's quite a challenge in the time frame we have to, to shift it. So I don't really know if I should stand over here or here. Where should I stand? <laughs> so it's just a little bit awkward for me. So, um, But this morning we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, if you'd like to take a look at that. I came across an illustration as I was preparing for this, and I thought it was pretty powerful. There was a young boy sitting next to an old preacher by a river one day. And as they sat there watching the water flow by, the young boy said to the old preacher, will you teach me to pray? And the old preacher looked at him and said, are you sure you want me to teach you to pray? And the boy said, yes, yes, of course. I want you to teach me how to pray. And so the old preacher grabbed him by the shirt collar and threw him in the river. And then he stood there in the water and held him down. And the boy was kicking and fighting to get up. And finally, the old preacher let him up out of the water. And the boy was hopping mad. What'd you do that for? And the old preacher said, that's your first lesson in prayer. He said, when you long for God the way you long to breathe, then you'll be able to pray. I think a lot of people look at prayer as something they do when they need something. You know, it's kind of like your wish list. You're calling out to the genie in heaven to, to give you what you need. But really, the point of prayer is to call out to God because you need him and you want him in your life. And you, you need him like you need breath. That's when you really get into a, to a prayer life. But this morning, I wanted to look at one of the prayers that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. And so uh, let's read that together, verse 15 through 23. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all, the, all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's a beautiful prayer. Paul wrote prayers to those early churches often in his letters. And when Paul wrote his letter to Ephesus, he knew that these would be some of his last words that he ever spoke to those early Christians. Because he was sitting in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. And so it was one of his last letters that he wrote. And he had spent years working with churches and planting churches. And he loved those churches and cared about them deeply. He was closely and personally connected with those people. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this. He says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Paul was very concerned for the churches. Paul prayed for these churches. He didn't know what was going to happen next to himself. Because if he had been released from prison, he was most likely wanting to go to Spain. Some historians think that maybe he did get to go. We don't really know for sure. But either way, he knew he would not see these Christians in Ephesus again. And so in this letter are his last words to this church, his last recorded prayers to them. And if you were going to write your last words, your last final letter to your family and friends, what would you say? Have you ever thought about that? What words or thoughts would you leave with them? What would you give them advice? Uh, Would you speak words of love to them? Would you speak about God? Would you share the message of Jesus with them? What are those last words you would want to pray over and write a letter to your friends and family? For Paul, he begins this letter of Ephesus praising God for the many blessings that he had bestowed upon these early Christians. And you see in verse 4, he says, God the Father chose us in Christ. And then he talks about the next blessing in verse 5. He says, we're blessed that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Verse 7, he said, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins, wisdom, and understanding. From God. Verse 9, he says, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. He has given us his Holy Spirit for those who are in Christ. The blessings of God, he writes about to these early Christians. And after listing these blessings that we all have through Christ, the Apostle Paul begins this prayer in verse 15. For this reason, he says, for this reason that God has blessed us, that God has provided for us, that God has taken care of us, For this reason, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He had already heard of the great faith of this church in Ephesus. He knew personally about their faith. But there's three facets of this prayer that I wanted us to look at. And the first one is that he says that we can know God better. And then he says that we can know the hope to which we were called in Christ. And then lastly, he says that we can know the great power that is available to us and to those who believe. Let's look at that first one, verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
that we can know God better. One of the greatest promises of Scripture is that we can know God. Just simply that. We can know the God of the universe, the God, the one who created all things that we see and that we know that exists in the universe and here on earth. Think about that. That alone is a profound thing that Scripture tells us, that we can know God at all is an incredible thing. In relation to the universe, we are small and insignificant. I have this picture of the sun with the earth next to it. It just kind of reveals how small we are. Our planet is one of of billions and billions of planets in the universe as far as we know. And yet God chose to have a personal connection with us. More than just personal contact, he chose to have a saving personal relationship to us and the followers of Jesus. Scripture tells us that we can know God. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, if we draw near to God he will draw near to us. 1 John 4, 7, John writes, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he said to his, he he prayed a prayer for his disciples. And in verse 3 of chapter 17, he said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That we can know God. Eternal life is determined by knowing God through our relationship to Jesus Christ. And when we come to know God through his son Jesus, we receive, we enter into eternal life in that moment. We're not waiting for eternal life. We enter into eternal life in that moment. That's the promise of salvation. That's the promise that scripture gives us that we can have eternal life right now and in the future. But the question is, how can we know God? How can we know God better in our lives? Because knowing God is more than just this intellectual pursuit of knowing things about God. Many, many people in our society believe in some form of God intellectually. This idea that God is somewhere out there that created us, something created life that's greater than us, but left us here to fend for ourselves. Many people believe in that kind of God, don't they? Even the great atheist Richard Dawkins admitted that maybe aliens put life here on earth at first. So even him, he believes in something greater than us, because we all know here on earth, we did not create all that exists. We did not create ourselves. You see, every theory for why this planet exists in just the right position and precisely just that distance from the sun, every theory for why life exists on earth ultimately leads to the knowledge that there must be something out there greater than ourselves. But it's a whole other level to believe that we can personally come to know God. However, this is what the Bible tells us, that we can personally know God and interact with God himself. And so when Paul speaks of our ability to know God, he means more than just an intellectual pursuit of God. Listen to how Paul described that in verse 17. He said, for God, God to, he prays for God to bless us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know God better. What is that? The spirit of wisdom, right? The spirit of wisdom means 
the wisdom given to us through the Holy Spirit when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The spirit of wisdom is not this secret gift that only a few people get, that the wisdom of God can be in each one of us through the power of the Spirit. And to know God better means that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will give us a deeper understanding of who he is. James 1.5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Paul has another prayer over in chapter 3. He says in verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that, may, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. He expands on this idea of knowing God. To know God is to love his son, Jesus Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of, of Christ, of God. Paul said in Ephesians 1, he prayed for that spirit of wisdom and revelation. What is the revelation then? We get wisdom from the Spirit. What is the revelation? Well, revelation has to, has to do with this getting to know God at a deeper level. And it's important to understand that the Apostle Paul and what he means here by revelation because there's no new revelation, if by that you mean there's no new revelation that's equal to the Scriptures in, in the Bible. Because God gave us all that we need to know to know Him right here. So there's no new revelation that's equal to this. However, just as we grow to know God deeper, the Spirit can grow us deeper in our understanding and knowledge of God. So the meaning of the word revelation often depends on who's using that term. Sometimes people have been misled or misunderstand in thinking that the idea that God has given them a new and special revelation that holds the same, the same strength and power and authority that Scripture does. And that's not what happens. On the other hand, sometimes people say the word revelation, that God has given them a revelation, simply to mean that God has given them a new way to understand something, a new knowledge, a new insight, a new understanding. And so the first thing we need to understand is that God is no longer in the business of giving out new revelation, if by that you mean new scripture. However, the Lord through his spirit will reveal to you a new understanding, a new knowledge of his word. In verse 16 of chapter 3, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's important to understand, the inner being. God, through His Spirit, may also prompt you in your inner being to speak words of life over someone. He may prompt you with, with a remembrance of a particular scripture that, that will build your, your inner being up or maybe help someone else around you by giving you a revelation, a new knowledge or understanding of how to use that. He may bring to mind scripture to help someone. And so revelation has to do with gaining new knowledge or insight or understanding. Thus, we can know God better through gaining a deeper knowledge of his word and through wise application of what he gives to us. 
So the Apostle Paul says we can know God better, but the second facet of that prayer is that he prayed for them to know the hope to which they were called. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I love that idea, the eyes of your heart. I love that. As Jesus said in Matthew 15, out of the heart the mouth speaks. The heart is that deep place where we hold on to things deeply. I love that old worship chorus that was, open the eyes of my heart. It was a simple message, really. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. I love that concept that we see God with our hearts. But how do we see God with our hearts? What what does that mean? You know, many people have turned their hearts against God. People want to see God, but if your hearts are turned against Him, you'll never see Him. Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. You see, God is is the one who brings about the spiritual enlightenment within our hearts and our minds by gaining that new understanding, that new insight of himself. The notion of seeing God with our hearts speaks to this deeper perception, more than just physical sight, that we see God with our hearts, that we know God is real in our hearts. In the biblical context, the heart symbolizes the core of a person. It encompasses the the emotions and the deepest thoughts. It's where we hold those deepest things in our hearts. It's where we hold the the deepest things of God. The, The heart is also the spiritual center of our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, he said, For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. To give us the knowledge of the, give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When you come to know God, He makes His light shine in your hearts. He gives you a new perspective deep within. Through spiritual enlightenment, our hearts gain a deeper comprehension of the nature of God and the character of God. We start to understand God at a different level and the significance of Jesus. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, of Jesus' life and ministry. And so Paul says the eyes of our heart, he prays that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened, might be opened up to understanding God at a different level. He says, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You see, we are saved through hope, our hope in Christ, the hope that we hold in our hearts. In Romans 8, 24, it says, In this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And the great faith verse of Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Being confident and certain of what we hope for. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God opens up the eyes of our hearts that we may know with certainty the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. And so God enlightened the eyes of our hearts with Christ. 
so that we can know the hope that we've been called to and the glorious riches for which he has promised us. Listen to how Paul describes these riches in, in verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. Redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins through that blood in accordance with the riches of God's glory and grace that God lavishes on us. Isn't that a beautiful passage? God's grace is our riches. And so in this prayer, Paul prayed that we might know God better. He prayed that we might uh, know the hope to which we were called. And the last facet is verse 19, where he says that we might know the great power available to those who believe and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is in our hearts. Many Christians today have this insatiable quest for more. Give me more, God. Give me more of this. Give me more of that. Give me more, 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 more. It's as if God has not given us everything that we need. But in reality, Jesus has already given us all that we need. Jesus did not hold back any blessing for us. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. Peter writes, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. But receiving this power from Jesus Christ really means that we must give up our power. And I think that's where the problem is. This is where we get caught up in life. We want more of God's power while holding on to our own power. And that's the real issue. We try to continue to live life the way we want to. We try to hold on to everything that we have power over, control over, while at the same time asking God to give us more of his power. But it's not until we let go of our power that the power of Christ starts to take over in your life. So the quest for a deeper and more empowered Christian life often revolves around our desire for a greater spiritual experience without giving up our power. However, there's a paradox at play here. It lies in the fact that while many seek more of God's power, they overlook the reality that God has already provided everything necessary for life and godliness and for a fulfilling, empowered life in Christ. So there's this tension between relying on our personal strength and setting aside our strength and fully embracing the power of Christ in our lives. And so in reality, it's not really about receiving more of God's power, but it's really more about us yielding our power to him. That's spiritual maturity, giving up more of yourself in order to have more of God in your life. This is where the struggle really lies, I think. We are the ones that get in the way of knowing God more, of having more of God's power. Yet, all of God's power is available to us. God has not given us all that, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. In fact, Scripture tells us with the Apostle Paul, he said, when you are weak, then you are strong. When you are weak, then you are strong. You are strong because God can then come in and take over and perform his power through you. Paul says about the spirit of God and what the spirit revealed to him. He said, 
The Spirit revealed to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. But we don't like to be weak. Our world doesn't want us to be weak. The message we get is that we need to be strong. We're strong, powerful, individual people. Be strong within yourself. That's the message that we get all the time. We don't like to be weak. Kiwis have the can-do attitude, which I appreciate. Can-do attitude. We can get out there and do it ourselves. Number eight wire used to be the, the phrase. Where I come from is the duct tape. You know, duct tape and number eight wire can fix anything. Got this can-do attitude. But you need a God-can-do-through-me attitude. Paul illustrates this kind of power that we have available to us when he says the same power that raised God from the dead is available to us. He said that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of, fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I like what Timothy Keller said in his commentary on this. He said, spiritual growth is not about gaining control, but about surrendering to God who is always in control and allowing his work in our lives to unfold in his perfect timing. If we could only get out of the way. And so it's really up to us to let go. God has made his power, power available to us like the mission impossible should you choose to accept it. If you're willing to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will come to know God better. You will know the hope to which he has called you and you will know the great power that is available to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Now I started out pointing out the difference between knowing about someone and knowing and truly knowing someone. So how do you get to know someone? You know, understanding someone deeply requires more than just factual knowledge about them, right? We can know about someone by learning all the facts and information about them. These will help you get to know a lot about a person, but you don't get to know someone that way. God invites us to know him personally, not just to know about him. It's not merely about amassing information and religious facts about God. What it really comes down to is actively engaging with him and spending time with him. Spending time in his presence, allowing his character to reshape our lives. Accepting Christ and inviting him into your heart opens up a door to a new journey of knowing God. It's a transformative experience in your life. One that transcends all the intellectual knowledge and delves deep into that personal connection where you see God with your heart. If you have not fully accepted Jesus Christ or you don't know him this morning, I invite you to come to know him. To let go of, of your own strength and to let God come into your life. Jesus is the only hope of this world. We're all heading to the same end. Where's your hope lie?
I know that for some of you, you've been Christians a long time. It's a challenge for you to reinvest yourself this year in God and personally knowing Him, come alongside Him, spending time with Him. But for some of you, you might be new to faith. You might be here to try something new this year. And I call out to you and just ask you to to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we all come this morning to set our hearts right before you, to know you just a bit better this morning as we delve into your word. Father, if uh, there are people here that don't genuinely know who you are, just pray that they'll be willing to give you a, give you a go and, and to invest themselves in coming to know you, Lord, to spend time with you, to really genuinely set their hearts upon your word. Father, I thank you for all that you've given to us. I thank you for how you provide for us. I pray for, for this year that it will be a year marked by coming to know you and living for you and investing time with you, Lord. So I pray for each person here that your spirit will lead and guide them and that each person will be drawn closer to you this year. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.